Hello, online Kudichiwa. I am your host, Daniel Gumby Greenland, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the curtain jerkers. And of course, I'm talking about those fighting on the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. This weekend is UFC in Vegas 33, Uriah Hall versus Sean Strickland. And maybe not one of the most impressive cards of all time, but it is one that is pretty interesting on a stylistic basis. And that's what we're going to be breaking down today. But of course, we will only be breaking down the prelim portion of that card, which is filled with a lot of unknown names. But that's the idea of this show, is to give you guys the insight on the unknown names, to help you break down some of those fighters you've never heard of before, or maybe only tangentially heard of before. And we're here to give you that so that if you are gambling, playing daily fantasy sports, or trying to win a pick'em contest, you can win that because you know all about the prelims and you have the leg up on everybody else. Now, speaking of picking them contests, I would be remiss if I did not mention that this episode of the Prelim Primer is brought to you by the most comprehensive MMA pick app that exists, Fanatics MMA. They have fighter bios, records, odds, all right in the palm of your hand while you make your picks. And the coolest part about it is there's so many great features about it. The app absolutely pops. It's cool looking. I'm going to tell you about all kinds of features later on in the show. But in the meantime, I highly encourage you to go download Fanatics MMA app. It's available in the Google Play Store. It's available in the Apple Store. You can go get it wherever it is you download your apps. And then you're going to listen later on in the show because I'm going to tell you all about some of the cool things you can do in there. And of course, you're going to be fiddling around with it while you listen to this show right now. Highly suggest it. Go download the Fanatics MMA app. Now, to break down some of these fights with me today, I am joined by a European MMA expert, Scott Lagden. Scott, thanks so much for joining me. No problems at all. Good to speak to you again. All right, guys. And as you know, we start each and every round by putting five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Wu Yanan versus Nico Montano. So Wu is on a two-fight losing streak. She lost to Mizuki Inoue and Jocelyn Edwards back-to-back. Montano, meanwhile, one and one in the UFC. Of course, that's over a very long period of time because after winning Tough and the 125-pound title in December of 2017, she's since only fought once, been stripped of her title, and that one fight was a loss to Juliana Pena up at 135 pounds, which is where this fight takes place. So she's been off again two years since that loss to Juliana Pena, and she's only 32. So I guess my, my thoughts to you to start here and my question to you to start is, just what do you make of Nico Montano and her abilities at this point in time? And, and how do you make anything of them? Exactly. It's so hard to actually gauge where she's at as a fighter, what skills she's got, because she's never in there long enough. She's never active enough. Um, it must be really, really hard to put any kind of momentum together when you're rolling out that once every two years. Um, so that's really tough. But again, they, they always say, don't they, say that most of the improvements are made outside of a fight camp, outside when you're outside of focusing for one particular opponent. Um, so, but yeah, she's not a fighter. It's just so hard to gauge. Right, is that, to be honest, it's almost impossible to predict, isn't it? You don't know what you're going to get when it comes to Nico Montano. Yeah, and it, it's almost like it's so much worse than something like TJ Dillashaw where you have a big body of work to go with first. And because she, she doesn't even have that, right? She's got seven pro fights. She did take down Juliana Pena three times, which is something that I'm looking for here against Yanan Wu. Because I think when we saw her against Roxanne Matafari, which who she took down a couple of times too, the thing for her there was volume. And, you know, that, that sort of plays pretty well in this division as well. But Yanan Wu is somebody who Gina Mazzani took down and controlled. Do you think that that's a, you know, obviously with all the, the caveats we put in place, do you think that's a reasonable path to victory here for Nico? Yeah, I mean, in, in terms of an opponent to come back to, um, 
Yanan Wu's somebody who she would fancy her chances against, definitely. Um, as you said, because she showed in the past that she is vulnerable to the takedown and she can get controlled. Um, again, Wu Yanan's another one. You have watched all this footage. It's another one It's really hard, I think. It's really hard to get a gauge, a gauge of where she's at. Like you said, her last fight is Edwards. Um, she made a good start, but Edwards, I thought Edwards had a really good performance in that, in that fight. Um, yeah, she's... Um, she, she she likes to control people from the top, but um, she does struggle with somebody on the bottom as as, as a good game from the bottom. Um, but Montano has never really showed that as such. Um, she showed elements of good striking as um, Yanan Wu, um, but she doesn't carry tons of power from what we've seen in the UFC. I know she's got a ton of finishes in the regional scene, but that's always hard to hard, hard to compare against. Um, she's got decent combinations on the feet. She uses her striking to get in close to try and close the distance, then take her opponent down. Um, but yeah, it's such a hard one to gauge this one. I can see Montano trying to take her down a controller um, because we've seen Yanan vulnerable there. But equally, I can see Yanan maybe causing Montano one or two problems on the feet as well. Yeah, and I sort of see it that way too. I think if, if Montano is able to get the takedowns that I kind of think she's going to get, I think she'll probably cruise to a decision here. But otherwise, yeah, I think on the feet it could be trouble unless like just the volume and in cardio of Nico Montano, should it still be there, you know, is probably going to help her out a little bit. But yeah, I think Wu has a little bit of an advantage there. So despite the fact that I said it's impossible to call, I'm going to ask you exactly that. Who you got in this fight and how do you got him? It really is a toying cost. So I, I, I really don't know either way, but I'll, I'll go with Yanan by decision. Why not? Uh, all right, and I'm going to go with uh, Nico Montano by decision just because I think it'd be a good story to hear coming back. But yeah, absolute coin toss. No idea on this one. And that brings us to one that we could have a little bit more of a thought on, and that's Melsic Boxadarian versus Colin Anglin. And Boxadarian, 5-1 making his debut. He's coming off Contender Series where he beat Dennis Bazooka. Uh, that was in September on the same exact card as Colin Anglin, who's 8-1 making his debut. Uh, he got his... Contract on that same card with a win over Muhammad John Naimov. So uh, the question here is more of a stylistic one. Anglin, a longtime wrestler, but he does like to use his hands quite a bit. Bogsadarian is a guy who loves to kickbox. He was a, a regional kickboxer and, and actually a pro kickboxer for a really long time. The question here is, do you think Anglin can get on the inside enough to sort of make this a dogfight and wrestle him up a little bit? Or if he doesn't, is he kind of doomed to be outstruck by Melsic? Yeah, that has to be the strategy, doesn't it? Anglin's got to be looking to, again, close that distance. He doesn't want to be playing at mid-range or on the outside too much with Bagdadarian. Um, always so fascinating when you've got someone with a kickboxing background, I find, transitioning to MMA. Um, obviously, Bagdadarian's still quite early on in his pro career. Um, apart from his performance in the Contender Series, we haven't seen all that much cage time from him. From him, I think the regional scene he had in seven seconds, nine seconds. So although he's amassed, I think six fights already, there's not that much to, to go off of, really. Um, yes, yeah, so I think that the the game plan for Anglin's got to be to use your hands to set up the takedowns. He doesn't want to be playing on the outside. I don't think against Baxadarian. Yeah, and we did see you're you're 100 right. All of his wins in his pro career, with the exception of the Contender Series win happened in a combined less than one minute. He has five or four wins in less than a minute combined, um, which is just absolutely insane. But I think in the contender series, we did see a lot from him there because he worked through some difficult positions. He did get taken down twice, which is twice more than he has in pretty much his whole career. Uh, he did stuff a lot of takedowns, which gives me some hope here against Anglin. Um, and obviously we got to see what he looks like in a third round, which I actually thought was not that bad. Anglin, on the other hand, I will say, looked really good later on, but it did look like you saw more wear and tear on him. 
Um, it will be interesting to see if this fight does go late. Does it favor the wrestler or does him getting stuffed a couple of times kind of mess him up? Um, but regardless of how you think it's going to go, it's time for that prediction. Who do you got in this one and how do you got him? Again, it's really hard to pick. But I'm going to go. I'm going to go with Anglin by submission. I think he, he may be putting one or two sticky situations early, but I think he'll fight through it and he'll just wear Baxadarian down. So I'll go for Anglin by late submission. And I agree that this is going to be a really tight one, but I'm going to differ with you again. I think I'm going to take Melzik Baxadarian. I think I'm going to take him by decision, just because I think in general he's going to pick uh, Anglin apart from distance and just make it hard enough to get the takedowns and ultimately win there. And that's going to do it for the end of our first round. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with round number two. All right, guys. Well, I mentioned at the top of the show that there are a bunch of awesome features of the Fanatics MMA app. Let me tell you a little bit about the scoring system right now, because that's personally one of my favorite parts. Is because the scoring system in a lot of pick 'em contests is what you get one point for picking the winner, or two points for picking the winner. You get another point for picking the method. Let me tell you something, that's pretty boring because the problem with that is is it weighs every fighter like they have the same chance of winning. That's not true. We know Vegas odds exist for a reason. Why not use them in your pick'em contest? And that's what Fanatics MMA has got going on. They use the Vegas odds to give you basically a fight IQ score. There's all kinds of other bonuses and power-ups and things like that too that you can play with. But that alone as a basis for a scoring system is so much better because you get rewarded for picking that big underdog. You take a bigger hit for taking that huge favorite who didn't pan out. So I highly suggest playing around with that, checking it out when you download Fanatics MMA wherever you download apps. And we are back with round number two. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Chris Grutzmacher versus Rafa Garcia. So Grutzmacher, 1-3 in his last four fights. His only win in that time was over Joe Lozon, which was a TKO due to retirement. He got knocked out by Alexander Hernandez last time out, and that was in October. Rafa Garcia, meanwhile, took a short-notice fight against Nazrat Hakparast in his March debut. He lost that by a decision. So my question to you to start is that in that fight against Nazrat Hakparast, Rafa Garcia just kept coming forward. The dude was like the Terminator. He never seemed to stop despite the fact he got hit with some pretty tough shots. How do you think that kind of pressure plays against somebody like Grutzmacher? Yeah, it's great. You're absolutely right. I mean, you won't get many harder UFC debuts and against um, Hakparast. He's a really talented guy. But like you said, Garcia kept on coming. Um Probably knew he was outskilled slightly, but again, he just bit down on the mouthpiece, moved forward, and and then through. Um, from what from what I've seen, Grootsmacher doesn't really like being put under too much pressure. We saw that Hernandez ate him alive really on the feet when he was landing for when he was marching forward with big shots. Um, and this really is a must-win for Grootsmacher, I think. Again, it feels like he's been around for years, um, but also hasn't been too active. Um, yeah, I, I don't see him dealing with Garcia's forward pressure very well, to be honest. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you on that one. I, I think Garcia turns up the pressure. He's probably going to to really wilt Chris Grutzmacher in there. The only thing I will say is, what, what do you think about Grutzmacher's ability to wrestle? Because I, I know that that's kind of what he falls back on when he really needs it. Do you think there's any chance here he wrestles Garcia? Uh, I think that, that would definitely be the sensible decision, I think. Yeah, if he stays on the feet, I can't see Grootsmacher getting too much success. If he's going to pull anything out of the bag, yeah, it's going to be a case of controlling position against the cage, wearing him down. But, but again, his, his, before the Lozon fight, I think we're talking 2019, 2018, aren't we, for his last, last victory, whenever it was. So, yeah, again, another guy is quite hard to gauge, really. 
Yeah, I, I sort of agree with you on that one. And, you know, the the game plan of wearing somebody down works a lot of times, and it works really well. But against Rafa Garcia, who looks like he doesn't ever wear out, it, it could be uh, a tough one for him. So seems like we're both leaning the same way on this one. Uh, who you got in it, and how do you got him? Yes, yeah, so I'm going to go for Garcia to lay it on quite thick. I see him hurting Grootsmacher and then submitting him after being after dropping him. All right, and I'm going to take a late TKO. Yeah, I, I think you're 100% right. I, I think regardless of how this one ends, it's Rafa Garcia just pouring it on uh, Grootsmacher until he finishes him any way he needs to. And that brings us to our next fight, which is a really exciting one, which is Danny Chavez versus Kai Kamaka. Chavez beat TJ Brown in his debut, but followed that up with a loss to Jared Gordon in February. Kai Kamaka, meanwhile, also won his debut, but since then has lost back-to-back fights against Jonathan Pierce and TJ Brown. The interesting thing about these two is these two just love to let him fly. They like to get in wars, but they do both mix up wrestling a little bit in there. Do you see this as a fight that is just going to be like an absolute stand-up bang-em trading, or do you see one of these two trying to take this into the grappling realm? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, these two love to bang, don't they? Um, they're both very, very active. They both like moving forwards. Um, but I have a sneaky feeling after watching lots of footage, I think that Chavez might be the one who tries to initiate the early takedown attempts and just see if he can get any kind of success in that area. Um, so, yeah, I think they probably will stay standing quite a bit. But I wouldn't be surprised if Chavez tries throwing a few takedown attempts into the mix. Yeah, I kind of agree with you on that, too. And I will say it it says less about Chavez as a fighter than it does about Kamaka's takedown defense, because I think ultimately that's why Chavez will shoot. Like his coach has probably got him coached up being like Kai Kamaka gives up a lot of takedowns. But then again, those takedowns he gave up to were TJ Brown and Jonathan Pierce, who are guys who just pretty much are, you know, I would classify as mostly grapplers. So do you, do you expect Chavez to have any success against Kamaka there? And if not, then like, what is this going to look like on the feet? Um, again, I, I can see him landing one or two takedowns, but I'm not sure if he'll be able to hold um, Kamaka down. So I, I could see Kamaka working his way through his feet each time. Um, yeah, we we've seen that Chavez really really flows in uh, throws in blitzes. He tends to wait wait wait, and then he'll just show a three of uh, throw a three or four shot combination. Um, not a load of technique, but he, he can tell he's quite a powerful guy. Um, but Chavez also absorbs, look at some stats, and he absorbs 4.17 strikes per minute. Um, and Kamaka throws about 5.6 strikes per minute. Um, so I can see Kamaka just edging it on the feet. Um, like I say, I think a lot's going to depend on if Chavez can get the takedown and if he can keep him down. But I can see Kamaka um, just edging it on the feet. So if that's the case, if Kamaka has got the slight edge on the feet, Chavez has got the edge on the ground, how do you see this one going? Again, it's a very, very close fight. I think this is probably my pick from the prelims, actually. I think it's, it's right up there in terms of competitiveness. Um, I think the takedowns will just be able to edge Chavez ahead. I'm going to go uh, for a Chavez decision by mixing um, all the martial arts together. Sounds cliche as it is, but I think he'll do that. I 100% agree. I, I got the same thing written down right here on my sheet, that I have Danny Chavez just getting enough grappling in there that's going to break the tie or close to a tie of striking. And that's going to do it for the end of our third round. We're going to t- or second round. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with that third round. All right, guys. The last feature of Fanatics MMA I wanted to tell you about today is the group function. That's right. You can set up a group. As a matter of fact, you can also go join the the Top Turtle MMA group if you click on the link in our show notes right now. 
But in the meantime, you could also set up your own group. And the cool feature of that is you can see all your friends' picks as they're being scored. And in addition to that, you can also talk smack to them in the group chat function that's built right into the app. You don't have to go somewhere else to send a, a message. You can be looking at their picks and send them a message all right in the palm of your hand. But of course, you can only do that if you download Fanatics MMA. And we are back with round number three. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Jin Yu Fry versus Ashley Yoder. Fry had a two-fight losing streak, but she broke that with a win over Gloria DePaula by decision in March. Yoder, meanwhile, has dropped three of four. Most recently, she lost a decision to Angela Hill, also in March. So in that win for Jin Yu Fry where she broke the losing streak, the big difference for her was a huge change in her wrestling ability and her ability to get Gloria DePaula to the mat. Is that the, the path to victory for her here, too, to sort of just have top control over Ashley Yoder? Or is Yoder's submission game a little bit too dangerous to do that for Jin Yu Fry? Yeah, it's another really interesting one. I think these two match up really well. Um, both like to grapple. Um, but I think Fry's um, uh, path to victory here is going to re- revolve around the striking. Um, she's quite cri- she's got quite basic striking, Junior Fry, but it's quite crisp, it's quite sharp. Um, so I could see her holding her own on the feet. Um, I think she may attempt the the odd, the odd take down here and there, but I'm not sure. I think when you go down there, y- Yoda's um, she likes to grapple. She's quite fluid in her movements. Um, so I think Fry could get into a bit of trouble if she tries to take her down. Um, but I, I don't think she'll be afraid to go there. Yeah, I, I sort of agree with you on that too. And I will say this. I, I think the bigger problem here for her is the size problem. The, the fact that, that Ashley Yoder is much bigger. Because Ginny Fry is a, is an atom weight. You know, not for anything. She is fighting at strawweight because she has to if she wants to be in the UFC. But she's an atom weight. So she, she was able to, you know, sort of wrestle up. Was it Cheyenne Bays? And like... Cheyenne Bays is a little bit less strong or less skilled in her grappling, but the size for Ashley Yoder, I think, worries me a little bit if Fry does try to go there. I do like her ability to strike it in the clinch, though, more than Yoder's, but it's kind of hard to tell because, like you said, it's not super complicated striking, but it is really crisp when it's there, and that's probably enough against Ashley Yoder, but I don't know 100% that it will be enough. Um... So I guess we're, we're unfortunately at the part where we got to log a prediction here. Who do you got in this one, and how do you got him? Uh, again, no, not confident this at all. But I think well, I think Fry might just have enough to eke out eke, eke out a decision. I think. Yeah, I'm gonna take Fry by decision too. I, I think in this one for me, it, the, the difference maker is just that like I, I think Yoder has to be on top in any grappling exchange or catch her with a submission off the bottom and. I, I see those paths of victories as just being a little bit too narrow for my liking. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Fry by decision as well. And that brings us to Ronnie Lawrence versus Trevin Jones. Ronnie Lawrence won his debut with a ground-and-pound victory over Vince Cachero. That was in February. Jones, meanwhile, is technically 2-0. He beat Timor Valiev, although that was voided due to uh, a marijuana suspension. Uh, and then he followed that up by knocking out Mario Batista with a, kind of a vicious uppercut. So, my, my question here is that Lawrence... A guy who who people have kind of lauded his wrestling, have have lauded his ability to get the fight to the ground, but he's a pretty well-rounded all-around. What do you think of if he does turn this into a striking match with Trevin Jones? Who holds the advantage there? Yeah, I I love this fight. I think this is another one which is definitely one to look out for. Um, Like you said, I think his his, 
uh, most clear path to victory is going to be to, again, it, Lawrence is a guy who mixes it up really well. So I've written that down, so he mixes um, everything together really well. Um, he manages distance well. Um, he's, he moves in and out really, really effectively. Um, so, again, I don't, I don't think he'll be scared to stand with Jones at all. Uh, I think his, like I said, the clear path to victory will be what I take down. But uh, I, think, actually, I think Lawrence probably could hold his own on the feet as well. He's, he, he's a really fluid mover. Yes, Jones is powerful, but I could actually see Lawrence keeping on end of his jab. Uh, keeping him a distance and, and doing some damage from out there as well. Yeah, and I think that that's the the big thing for him is he needs to make sure that 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 power stays away from him and that he keeps him, like you said, at the end of the jab. But the interesting thing to me here is that like Trevin Jones in his UFC career so far has not faced a takedown. Nobody's even shot one on him, and that includes a fight with Timur Valiev. So. It, it's really hard for me to gauge, is he able to stop a Ronnie Lawrence from taking him down? Because we got some regional level stuff that we can look at, but like nobody who's even close to that ability level. So for me, the big question mark is, you're, you're right, it could be a guy trying to keep somebody at the end of his jab, a guy trying to land a big power punch, but more likely we're going to see Ronnie Lawrence try to wrestle. So I think that that's probably the decider in this fight. It, can he wrestle him? What does that look like? Uh, you know, can he keep stay away from the power shots if he does try to wrestle? It, it's a big question mark in my mind, but unfortunately we got to go to the uh, prediction. Who do you got in this one and how do you got him? Yeah, I think Ronnie Lawrence is a guy who is actually quite talented and I think he's going to make a lot of growth in between fights. I've got Lawrence by submission later on. All right, and I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Trevin Jones in this one. I like his power. I think as long as he gets him close enough, yeah. I, and, and you know, what? I don't feel super confident about this one because, like I said, I have that big question mark about the Ronnie Lawrence grappling because I think it's good, and I have no idea what Trevin Jones does. I would have loved to see Timor Valiev try a takedown on him because that would tell me all I need to know. I feel like, um, and instead, I got this big question mark here. But hey, if he can survive that onslaught of Timor Valiev, I, I think I like him to survive yeah, the onslaught. He's got the power to turn it around quickly. So yeah, not, not a bad pick at all. Absolutely. And that brings us to our very last fight, which is Philip Rowe versus Ryan Koski. So Rowe lost his UFC debut to Gabriel Green. That was in February, and he lost that by decision. Koski, meanwhile, is going to be making his debut. He's 7-0. He won his contract on the Contender Series with an August win over Matt Dixon, who is a hell of a prospect in his own right. Now, it's interesting because both of these guys are big finishers. Uh, and I think both of them see themselves as being the guys who go in there and get people out. Which of these two do you think has better finishing instinct and is more likely to score the big shot here? Well, yeah, it's, it's another one that's really hard to pick. Um, like you said, both, both are dangerous on the feet. Um, I think um, Kosi just carries a bit more power in his hands, but I, th- I think Rowe's got more weapons. He mixes his strikes up really, really well. I think Kosi can sometimes look a little bit predictable and um, um, doesn't always throw in with lots of combinations, whereas Rowe looks a bit more fluid. Um but, uh, yeah, but I think both guys carry power. I just think Rose got slightly more variety in his strikes. Yeah, and I definitely agree with you on that one. Now, let's take another realm to it, too, because finishing isn't obviously just striking. How about the grappling department? Who here do you see has the better ability to get this to the ground and look for a finish there? Um, so I think Rowe, I've noticed that since Rowe's last fight in the UFC, he's done quite a lot of grappling tournaments, and I think it was Submission Underground has been on as well. Um, so I think that's clearly an area of his game that Rowe's look, looking, to, looking to round out. So I, I definitely think that Rowe will look to mix in the takedowns as well. Uh, Kosi um, showed good takedown defence in his last fight on the Contender Series. Um, yeah, I definitely think Rowe will definitely look to take it onto the mat at some point. 
And that's interesting, too, because I will say, you know, Koski, uh, he, he did look to do that in his Contender Series fight. Um, like I said, he, he beat Matt Dixon, which is always a, a pretty impressive win to have on his resume. But it sounds like you like Philip Rowe. So how do you see him getting done done in this fight, um, if that is your pick? Yeah, so I'm, I'm again, not 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 confident by any means. But yeah, I think Rowe might just have enough. He might, I think he might be slightly more well-rounded. Um I can see him mixing up a very few good strikes. He just needs to look at his defense a little bit because he does leave his chin quite high and he's he ate quite a lot of leg kicks in the last fight as well. So uh, if he's tightened up his defense slightly, uh, I can see him keeping Kosi at range a little bit, mix up that grappling, and he might eke out a decision. But again, it's, it's, a, it's a close fight in my opinion. Yeah, and I think this one is going to decision despite the fact I just talked about how they were both finishers because I do think... Uh, both of them are, are going to fight uh, a little bit more careful against guys who they know are dangerous because that, that's something we see all the time, respecting your opponents. I am going to take a Ryan Koski in this one, though. I do think uh, that win over Matt Dixon really impressed me, and I could see some of the holes that, that Gabe Green poked in, in Phil Rose striking, especially, yeah. as you mentioned, the leg kicks, and I think Koski's the type of guy who will take advantage of those. Yeah. Rose got that 80, 80 inch reach as well. So if, if he just learned a bit more, um, made some growth in that area, that's just he's got such a good frame for the division as well. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Yeah, that's a, that's another good point. He does have a very weird frame, and it, it's a frame we're seeing more and more in MMA. But mm. um, yeah, it, it should be they should be interesting fights, if not maybe the most meaningful fights. And we hope you guys learned something. That is now the end of our third round. We gave you seven fights in just a little bit under twenty minutes. So we hope you guys. Like I said, learned something and got a little bit of information on these fights that are a little bit more under the radar. I want to thank my co-host from, or host, co-host from today, Scott Lagden. You can catch him on Twitter at Scott underscore Lagden. Scott, thanks so much for joining me, man. You're very welcome. Anytime. 